Um, the reading today is John 2nd, 1 through 12. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding, had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, We have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern of it to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, um, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now, draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had been become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, they went down to Capernaum, with his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they remained there for a few days. This is a word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Rachel. Friends, i got to be honest with you. Uh, gratitude, as we just sang it, that song wrecked me. Wrecked me this morning. Did it wreck you? Can we give God some glory for that? Amen. Mm. And now we get to talk about miracles, the miracles of God in breaking and God's spirit in human relationship and human uh, just in our lives. Amen. Amen. So we've uh, we're going to begin this sermon series about uh, miracles, how Jesus performs them throughout our scripture and throughout the gospels. And they're about healing. They're about provision. They're about restoration and transformation. And we often think about miracles as these huge, dramatic, life-changing events, but they can also be small things as well. We just finished up this sermon series, Recalibrate, looking at how we focus our lives and our perspectives on things. And many people have differing opinions and differing perspectives on miracles, wouldn't you say? A miracle as it's defined is a human experience mixed with divine activity. And I want to ask you, and you don't have to respond, but where are you with miracles? Do you believe that they happened long ago in the time of Jesus, but not so much now? Or maybe you're along the perspective of, yes, absolutely, and they still happen today. Or maybe you're along the lines of, well, miracles might have happened back then and there might have been a reason for it, but maybe not so much now. But what if we shifted our perspective on miracles to see and to say and to know that they still happen today? That is, if we take the time to notice them, they're all around us. Amen. So throughout the Gospels, as it's recorded, and you can write this down, there are 37 miracles in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are about providing and sustaining, about feeding and healing. And each miracle is a sign of God's power and God's grace, turning the ordinary into something extraordinary. Can we say that together? Turning the into what? 
Come on, all together now. Turning the into something beautiful. Making a way when there was thought to be no way. Miracles are God's work, a divine activity bringing about transformation in our lives, in our church, and in our community. And it doesn't happen by accident. We love, friends, we love watching HGTV, don't we? Do you like watch H? Listen, come on, be honest, you're in church. What about Food Network? Keep your hands up. Come on, hands up, HGTV, Food Network. We love watching things like that, like the before and after of things. Listen, I will binge watch some HGTV. I'm going to be honest with you, all right? I love seeing the befores and afters, but that's what we love to see, right? We love to see that transformation take place. And sometimes it's a lot of hard work and ingenuity and faith. And people are laughing over here because their pastor just admitted that he watches HGTV and that's okay. Or maybe it's something else. But there is a lot of hard work and ingenuity and faith that goes into the in-between. There is something within us that loves to watch those types of shows. And I think it's because we're wired in that way that God has placed in our lives this great hope to always be on the lookout for God's hope. A desire to know and to be about that transformation that God wants for us in our lives. And we believe, and I want to ask you, do you believe that transformation is possible? Yes. Yes? Transformation is possible. I'm glad we got that out of the way because we can say that we believe that. But it's often overlooked that the transformation of the in-between, right? The before and the after, the hard work and that perseverance. There are 37 miracles, as I mentioned before, and there is always a call and a command from Jesus or God for us as humanity to respond and to be a part of God's miraculous power that is at work. And so as we journey through this next sermon series on miracles, I want to ask you two questions. And you don't have to answer it today, but I want you to write them down. What area of your life needs a miraculous touch or transformation? What area of your life needs a miraculous touch or transformation? And the second question, how are we called to be courageous participants in the miracles of God? Will you pray with me? Holy God, we pray that we might be able to sense and to experience your spirit at work in our lives, be able to acknowledge how you are performing miracles each and every day, how your spirit is moving in our midst. God, sometimes it is overwhelming. Sometimes it catches us off guard. But God, may we stand ready to receive the gifts, the blessings, the miracles that you want to be at work in our lives. And so, God, we ask for our hearts, our minds, our spirits to be open this morning to your word. And so, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And together, all of God's people said, my grandfather used to have this phrase, well, would you look at that? And he would often say that at times when he was surprised by how a situation unfolded, maybe surprised by an outcome or caught off guard or just in awe. And one of my roommates in seminary had a similar phrase to that to express his astonishment. Look at God. He would often say that time and time again throughout the day. Well, would you just look at God? Will you say that with me? Look at God. 
Come on, mean it. Look at God. For him, look at God was both a reminder and an acknowledgement. A reminder that Jesus is always at work in our lives. And also a reminder and acknowledgement that we are to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That Christ always stands ready to turn something ordinary into something extraordinary. And that Jesus is always about changing our lives. Amen? So this morning, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 2 in your Bibles. And if not, uh, you can go to the Bible app that's in the chat or uh, the Bibles that are right in front of you if you're here in the sanctuary. John says that this is the first miracle that Jesus is performing, and it took place in Cana of Galilee. Cana is a short distance from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And so Jesus was invited to this wedding along with his mom, Mary, and his disciples and his brothers and his friends. Weddings in this time period in first century Palestine don't last like modern day weddings, right? How many hours do weddings usually last? Maybe three, maybe four, maybe six, maybe eight. But in this day, four days, five days, seven days. I don't know about you, but being around my family for that long could be quite taxing, right? But for these people, it lasted four, five, maybe even seven days. Guests would come and go during this time. And it's hard work to try to make sure that you have everything that you need. Food and drink and entertainment. And so with that many people coming and going, there had to be a master of ceremonies, a a banquet manager, uh, to manage the entire wedding celebration for that long period of time. And what happens? They run out of wine. I want you to gasp. They run out of wine, friends. Oh, come on. And while Jesus is at this wedding, the unthinkable thing happens. And I'm going to try to get you to do it one more time. The wine runs out. (gasps) Thank you. Thank you. Finally. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. It's Murphy's law book, right? The wine runs out. Thank you. Yeah. When we hear that, we probably think that, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. There's a 7-Eleven on every corner, right? Or maybe they can just go to the ABC store. But for these people living in this day, they couldn't just go to the 7-Eleven. They couldn't just go to the ABC store. It was very embarrassing in a culture that uh, had a heightened level of hospitality. They expected that they would never run out of food, never run out of drink. It was embarrassing for the groom's family because the wedding receptions would often take place at the groom's homestead. It was ruining of their reputation, their family name, their honor. There's a ton of people who came to this wedding and weddings in general, in-laws, family, friends, extended relatives, people who you don't even want to talk to. You still invite them to this wedding and even the entire community would come out and they run out of wine. You don't want that to happen, friends, but they did. And Mary becomes, uh, she acknowledges that they ran out of wine before many other people. And she goes to Jesus with this catastrophe. And she says, hey, listen, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't expecting that one. (laughs) She knows her son, right? She knows what he is capable of. And Jesus responds and saying, woman, what kind of concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come yet. 
Jesus' response kind of shows us that he's a little irritated, right? He might be a little frustrated. Mom, we don't have a problem. The groom has a problem. You almost feel like he is very irritated, is very frustrated with his mom. But we've got to understand that woman, that term, is a term of endearment in that day. He was not frustrated or irritated, but he's pointing to the fact that his mom, that the fact that the time has not yet come. He had to be in tune with his inner calling from God, not by any human claim or human authority, not even his mother's. Mary didn't know how Jesus was going to respond. Maybe Jesus was actually going to help out this family whose wedding he had invited to. Mary didn't know, and it wouldn't hurt to ask, right? So contrary to that popular song, Mary, did you know? My memory's a little bit fuzzy this morning because it's, it's really raining, or it was at least before. And But I'm quite certain that the lyrics of that song didn't include a verse from this scripture passage, right? Do you remember it? Mary, did you know that your son would be the life of the party who could turn water into wine? Do you remember that part of the song? No, it's not in there. They said at 815 that the choir is going to add it for this Christmas and Advent season. But in this instance, I imagine that Mary is walking away from Jesus and she tells the servants who are standing there, listen, do whatever he tells you to do. Mary knows her son, right? And she knows that he's going to think about it, contemplate it, treasure it in his heart. And so in verse 6, John tells us that there were water jugs that were nearby, the entrance of the door. And he tells us that there were four ceremonial washings and purifications. Back in those days, there were no showers, no running water, right? So they took cleanliness very seriously. And they would wash their hands after they traveled. uh, And they'd wash their feet after they traveled long distances. And so they finally came to the ceremonial uh, part in that service. And the wine... Uh, sorry, the water uh, was all dried up, all used. And so Jesus tells the servants, hey, go and fill those clay jars or go and fill those stone jars that are near the entrance of the door. The wedding had been likely going on for a few days, and we don't know if they are full or they are empty, but we don't know. But it's likely they were nearing the end. And Jesus says to the servants in verse 7, hey, go and fill those jars, fill them to the brim. And so the servants do just that. And then Jesus says, okay, now go and take some liquid out of those jars and take it to the master of the banquet. And so they do. The master of the banquet is like a a banquet manager, making sure that everything is in order, making sure that everything is on time, making sure that things move along and that they don't run out. Well, he didn't do that good of a job, we'll just say. And so the servant scooped up some of the liquid from those stone jars and took it to the master of the banquets. And he says, wow, this is the best wine. This is really, really good wine. In fact, he's so impressed that he calls the bridegroom over or the groom probably puts his arm around him in that moment and says, listen, you are like anybody else. I've done a lot of weddings in my day, but most of the people bring out the good wine first so that the people get drunk and then they cheapen the box wine. And they can't even tell the difference. I'm sorry for those of you who like box wine. It's okay. I don't even like wine. You know, I've got to tell you, people are drunk and then they bring out the crappy wine, the cheap stuff. By that time, the folks won't be able to tell a difference. But you, you've put the best wine. You've held off the best wine until now. This wine is better than the original wine. 
And John ends the story there, right? He ends it by saying that Jesus has made and and performed his very first miracle. The disciples put their faith in him. Well, why wouldn't you, right? A miracle just happened right before their eyes, and it's a great and happy ending. Everybody remembers this part about it, right? It's a joyous wedding. It has finally been saved. But remember what the wedding banquet master had said. This wine is better than the old wine. The previous wine, the first wine. Jesus has come to offer us a new covenant, a new relationship. John's gospel is cyclical in its nature. What happens at the beginning points towards what's going to happen at the end. And for us as Christians, modern day Christians, we're able to see the full picture of it. We're able to draw those lines and connect those dots. This message that Jesus is proclaiming in this gospel is that he is bringing a new covenant, bringing about a new covenant that is sealed with his blood on the cross. This new relationship that is going to be offered to us through God is going to extend forgiveness and grace and mercy. And it's far better and far superior to the old covenant. The covenant of Moses and Abraham. The covenant based on the law, based upon the sacrificial offerings of the animals. But this covenant, this new covenant about Jesus... Well, it fulfills everything, all of the requirements of the old covenants. And it's with his blood. It's with a new covenant. That's good news, amen? When Jesus changed water into wine, he was revealing his glory. But he was also revealing his grace. Remember at the beginning of the six jars that were placed by the door for ritual cleansing. Six jars holding 20 to 30 gallons of water, making themselves clean before God with these rituals that they made up. Well, Jesus fills these jars, these same huge stone jars with wine, the best wine that you could ever imagine. And that was the wine of grace coming from the water of the law. Jesus was turning the water of the law into the wine of grace. That is the message in this miracle. Amen? But there are two other things that I want to point out. As we talked about earlier, HGTV shows and Food Network, right? Uh, We like to see the uh, before and after, and we don't really want to watch the in-between. But if you look at verse 7, Jesus tells us that, or John's gospel tells us that Jesus told the servants to go and fill those water jugs with water. 20 to 30 gallons a piece. There's six of them, right? Go and do this. And at that time, there was no running water. There was no spigots. There was no kitchen sinks that they could go and fill it up. They had to go to the well, which was likely not in the home. And so they had to go trekking back and forth, filling these water jugs up. They were heavy already. They were made of stone. Even when they were empty, they were heavy. And the gospel says that they filled them to the brim. The servants would have to go back and forth, and they were willing to do that work because Jesus had asked them to do it. My friends, Jesus was able to perform this miracle because of the work of the servants. My friends, Jesus wants to transform our lives. But for something like that to happen, for something like that to take place, we have to stand ready, and we have to respond, and we have to answer Whatever in our life is needing to be transformed, Jesus wants to help us with it. Jesus wants to do a miracle of transformation in our lives, all for his glory. Amen? Part of that work is just showing up. 
Part of that work is just standing ready and being there. Many people want a deeper relationship with God, but I got to tell you, friends, you just got to show up and let God do some work. The only way to have a deeper relationship with Jesus is accepting him and knowing about him, reading scripture, thinking about it, entering into a small group, maybe a Bible study, talking with friends and neighbors and family members. You just got to show up. That's the first step. On the road between ordinary and extraordinary, between before and after, there is some work that needs to be put in. And Jesus has given us all that we need to do this work. The treasure in clay pots, the talents, the skills, and the abilities. We have all we need to do this work. Perhaps your life is like an embodiment of Murphy's Law. What can go wrong will go wrong. Perhaps your life is a living embodiment that you feel like you can't move forward on your own strength anymore. Where in your life do you need God to show up? Where in your life do you need transformation to take place? Where is the spirit at work in your life moving you and nudging you and poking you and prodding you and stirring it up within you? My friends, that's part of the transformation miracle. That God is wanting to do a miracle of transformation in our lives. All we have to do is be ready. Ask, seek, knock. Amen? Ask and the door, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Faith involves transformation and transformation involves faith. We can't do it on our own efforts. The faith in Jesus and our faith together is that he can do whatever we need in our lives. When we put our faith in Christ, we can do it all. Amen? Miracles happen. But we have to be willing to take a step out in faith and trust Jesus. Jesus did something extraordinary when the servants were willing to do the work. And as a church, we are called to do that same work. Amen? Amen. We're called to be agents of transformation and Agents of change in our church and in our community. God is willing to take your ordinary and to turn it into something extraordinary. Lives are being touched through you and your generosity and you through your actions in this church and through your faith in God. Last weekend, as Pastor Donovan lifted up, over $50,000 was raised for our ministry partners with Helping Children Worldwide and Bo Sierra Leone. Over 400 uh, race participants, over 40 volunteers, all helping and coming together. Because when Jesus has called them to do something with the resources that he has entrusted them with, great things can happen. Great things can happen when God's people trust God. In this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, we see God meeting us in a place where we are broken, where we have run out, where things around us and within us continue to go wrong, and yet God still shows up, cares about every detail of our life, and it's the same God that turns water into wine. My friends, I believe that this miracle points us always towards the cross, where Jesus died to change water into wine, to turn and change despair into hope, to turn sinners into saints, to turn death into life. If you look back to the scripture passage, John 2, what are the first four words? Come on, shout it out. Come on, a little louder. On the third day. 
on the third day, and of course you know Jesus' story, that on the third day that was not the end and that he was raised on the third day. And it doesn't end there. For in heaven we will join a great wedding banquet with the bridegroom, with Jesus Christ, with the bride of Christ, the church. And there will be plenty of wine. Oh, Perhaps today, maybe you're like Mary. You know to whom you can turn when you have run out of life. Perhaps you're like those water jugs. And you need God's Holy Spirit to be poured into you this day. Maybe this is your hour that you have come to believe. My friends, we are in the midst of expecting and awaiting a miracle. And God is ready to show up. Amen.